This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Game Dev Unchained, the number one podcast about game development and the lifestyle thereof. I am your host, Brandon Pham, and this is a special episode. Uh, most of you guys who are listening are seeing it coming out on a Friday. So as mentioned on episode 247, I'm going to be releasing two episodes a week because I am sitting on an archive of interviews that never has been shared. Why would I do that? Why would I do work and not show people? Well, uh, that is part of what 2020 was. Me kind of digging through the archives and realizing I'm sitting on a treasure trove of interviews that you guys should be privy to. So without further ado, this is an interview conducted, I believe, in 2018. And this is a new segment that I'm introducing on Friday called Art Boost. Presented by Game School Online, which is concentrated on the technical aspects of game development and boosting your creative and, in particular, art side of things. So, this is a visual component to a lot of these interviews, but uh, feel free to click over on that in the link descriptions of this episode. But I would say that it is equally as enjoyable just listening through the experience. So without further ado, uh, let me introduce the guest for this. His name is Gabriel. Uh, He works at Respawn. And since then, he has shipped the Jedi Fallen Order Star Wars game, but have had previous experience working with Riot, the Activision Studios for Call of Duty, and many, many more. So enjoy. But let's just do the uh, formalities out of the way. This is opinions of our own, doesn't reflect anywhere that we work. So please don't try to get us fired. Uh, Today's main topic is for a lot of those uh, concept artists out there. It's a real treat. All right, Gabriel, uh, before I butcher any part of your resume, why don't you just jump in and give us a little bit about your background and today's topic? Cool. So, yeah, so my background is basically I went to college to study architecture originally. Always loved art, always loved drawing on the side, but kind of went down the main career path route. Um, Study architecture and after graduating decided... You know, my friends were at, at Art Center and other art schools, and I was like, man, that looks really cool. I've always wanted to do that. Let me try to jump over to this different design area that has kind of looks like it has to do with what I study, but not exactly, because I haven't really painted in this way, haven't invented in this way. So jumped in, um, you know, tried to catch up as much as I could. Uh, but like I said, I've always drawn in the past, but um, kind of made my way into the industry, um, learned what I could, 
um, taking courses, drawing on the side as much as I could, and then kind of cracked my way in through uh, Section Studios that first gave me my my internship and you know a lot of big opportunities to start to work with you know major companies, major studios, and kind of helped me get my legs under me um, and kind of gave me the mileage I needed to kind of go from there. So yeah, I spent a long time there. Worked with them, um, worked some freelance, um, worked with a bunch of different companies in game design, theme park design, film, TV, trailers, all kinds of different entertainment work, um, and now made my way to uh, Respawn. So that's kind of the journey. And in that time, I guess, you know, worked with a bunch of studios like Riot, uh, Gearbox, Sony, and, you know, many others. Um, so I kind of got a nice sampling of the industry and kind of brought me to here. Yeah. That's, that's pretty much it. That's the story. Yeah. I mean, I I definitely want to dig in to today's topic, which is architecture in concept. Uh, you would think from the outlooks of it, it goes hand in hand, but not a lot of concept artists are traditional architect, at least study. It starts from visuals. And then at the end, kind of figure out how all this stuff makes sense versus in architecture it's backwards you Mm -hmm. start with how it makes sense and you end with how it looks so that that backwardsness kind of was an interesting clash and i actually wanted to like smash those two worlds together as much as Mm -hmm. we could because i thought it could be something really interesting both for architecture because i would still do some things on the side you know the architectural world with like my friends small things you know small projects um, and then at the same time, I didn't realize that, you know, concept was actually in increasing need of making sense out of things. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I mean, much like your work, the first time I seen you and your, your artwork, and there's a different sense. I mean, we've seen many concept art before, but I feel very few can actually, and I, I think a lot of it has to do with your background where, you know, the thing that you draw looks functional. It looks like it can be very cemented. And I feel like it's an edge to be studying architect, to becoming an architect and then becoming a concept artist. So, I mean, in some ways it's sort of relief, right? You don't have to worry about code and, and all these things that can kill people if you build it wrong. Yeah. So do you feel among your other colleagues that it has given you at least some leeway or uh, an edge to, to your craft just with this extra knowledge to put into it. Uh, I think, I think it has. And at first I didn't feel that way. Um, It kind of felt like an uphill climb because Mm -hmm. I put those ideas like history and kind of uh, social ideas economic ideas like again architecture just by its nature is it touches on everything like all disciplines and i i thought you know concept art is kind of doing the same thing but it usually wasn't digging in really deep you know it was like first impressions really you know moving images um but then i realized you know once clients and projects started dealing with a lot of world building and a lot of believability and immersion and story and cultures I just realized, I was like, wait a second, this is all real world stuff. It, it kind of took me a second to wake up and realize that, wait, I know this. I, I know this. I know this. I remember this. 
So mm-hmm. I kind of jumped in and, and tried to bring what I could from, you know, my studies of history and cultures. And uh, even going as far as like developing the class that I teach now at Concept Design Academy, which deals with exactly that, taking historical architecture, breaking it down, understanding what made the real world the way it looks, what made the really cool architecture that we see the way it looks, mm-hmm. and then reverse engineering that in a way where you can build very convincing designs and concepts. So in that sense, like it, it has given, it helps almost every day in a way to kind of twist the way I look at things, not just visually, but also most important conceptually, where I think sometimes that can be forgotten, especially because concepts are so pleasant to look at in a lot of cases. And you got everything going on, colors, values, shapes, all these things that are razzle-dazzle. But at the end of the day, more and more I've noticed, especially with art directors and projects, it really becomes about the idea underneath. And if you couple that with something visually striking, then you hit gold. But sometimes if you have something visually striking and there's no underlying meat, the thing kind of falls apart and they ask a few questions and poke a few holes in your in your narrative and the whole thing crumbles and they're like, see, that doesn't work for our story. Mm-hmm. So I think now more than ever, it feels closest to architecture that I studied, which has both the why and the visual with it. I think this is a perfect segue actually to to look at your stuff. I mean, at this point, a lot of viewers are (laughs) watching in and, you know, if they don't know you're a badass by now, it's time to show. And we can kind of go over (laughs) a lot of your work. You're you're pretty prolific um, with variety. And as far as like how much you put out there, pencil sketches as well as digital, like it's very rare for me to see that. Like most concept artists, in my opinion, have completely transitioned to digital, but you still go back and forth a lot. I mean, do you feel like it's just one of those things that you can't shake off and you don't want to lose since you invest so much time just really doing all the drawings? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's maybe even more than that. It's not even something that I don't want to lose. It's actually something that I feel like I don't even quite have yet. Like mm-hmm. I think that feeling really hungry um, is a way to kind of stay relevant um, in any kind of industry that you're in. So you should never stop learning and striving to get better. And that's something that I took right off the bat because I jumped into the industry. I didn't have a chance to go through a school where it's kind of a, a safe zone where you can build your skills. It was like immediately I was competing with, you know, the art, the concept artists that were working in the industry. So I was like, okay, I need to start learning and never pretty much stop because I'm, I'm already behind. I need to catch up and go as far as I can. So drawing for me is something that is more about thinking and, um, and it's also very tactile and it's something that I just personally just enjoy. Mm-hmm. And also it's something that solves a lot of problems really quickly. And for, you know, all the painting that I do on digital, I've noticed that the, the very, the germ, the initial idea usually comes from some kind of quick doodle. And, you know, that's where you work out your ideas. And so the more you can get prolific in that area, the more you can imagine more quickly, more easily, and not let the technology be Photoshop or anything beyond it kind of control you. Because I think 
Um, the pencil to paper is probably the most immediate, um, you know, feedback right there. So I kind of keep, keep that up as much as I can. And people can actually check out some of that work too. On Instagram, I usually dedicate my Instagram to my drawings and architecture drawings, both ink and pencil. And you can find that uh, at Gabe Yagan, which is G-A-B-E-Y-E-G-A-N. Mm-hmm. And you can, you can see most of the drawings there. And then a lot of my concept work, I actually keep kind of separate on ArtStation. So I've even kind of separated those out a little bit mm-hmm. uh, just to kind of create some continuity with that. But, right. you know, they cross over all the time. So anything that I do as a study builds into a memory bank that mm-hmm. I can whip out in Photoshop. And in a way that is kind of pre-digested, you know, I don't have to just let Google do the driving. Right. I have it in my mind and I can pick through a little more consciously, like, what do I need here? What do I want in this moment of my painting and what makes sense? Yeah. So, I mean, we can jump into like a few images we want. I mean, most of the concept stuff that I, I'm showing is stuff that I'm allowed to show. Right. I can't. You know, go past that, unfortunately, which I think most of, of us have been deal with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's a bunch out there, but, you know, these things you can find on ArtStation as well, but I can kind of walk through some of this stuff and um, discuss this a bit. Yeah, definitely. Nice. So obviously we worked together at section studios. You did some freelancing on the side. Do you find it uh, pretty rewarding? Well, maybe in a way that it helped you increase your skills faster by working on many different styles, many different clients at the same time, or do you find it somewhat tiring to always keeping having to move on from project to project? I mean, I think it's both it's a matter of it's good to kind of sprint and like um, exercise all these different muscles at once. And it's kind of a nice mixed exercise of different things, you know, but at some point, you know, you do burn out, you can burn out every once in a while, but I think there's like a, a balance of like a healthy variety and then too many things back to back. But that said, I always liked the challenge and I felt like, you know, I was lifting something heavier each time and I felt like that was progress when I started out. You know, it's like, oh, I can tackle that too. Put that on my plate. So, you know, especially when you're like really excited about the stuff that you can be working on, you want to jump in. But that's also a balance of kind of quality and slowing down enough because I think that, you know, concept with all those tools, especially, you can create things very quickly and it's not necessarily the best you know, the best outcome every time, um, especially when you do it so fast, you're not really thinking anymore. So the most important thing is to kind of be aware when you stop thinking about what you're doing. And if you've gotten to that point, if you're like tackling that many things at once, then you should pause and kind of pull that back a little bit and give yourself some breathing room to, to think about the marks you put on the page. Because like I said, more and more of those, those matter and, you know, instinct, can get you a long way for sure. Then there's also stopping and figuring out complex things that, you know, sometimes that's part of the job is, is finding the correct answer, not just visually, but kind of conceptually. Right. I mean, that's part of the, the title in a way is wrapping your mind around what the concept of this design is. And sometimes that takes not painting and it takes 
some reading, some research, some thinking, and some even some drawing. Right. So these are just some different concepts. And again, some of these actually took a long time not to actually paint the final thing, but to go through what was probably dozens and dozens of different conversations, different paintings, um, dozens of paintings describing these areas. Um, so these were actually for riot games and, you know, we did a long visit of, uh, developing these areas, uh, together with their team. And I worked on Anoxus and Cargon mostly, um, but developed a lot of the architecture with them. And, uh, it, it was a long, very drawn out kind of healthy process of chewing on ideas that seem like you found a solution right up front, right immediately mm-hmm. learning that that's usually not the final answer and it probably shouldn't be. And, you know, hammering through a few more, if not dozens more until you find something that's something that's really new. And that was something that was challenging and, you know, it took a long time to develop the patience to let go as well, because there were as many paintings of this kind of detail in some cases that had to be completely kind of abandoned. Um, and not that they were lost. That's the other thing that's really good is you let go of some concepts that you run through, but you don't actually lose what you learn from there. You can always hold on to something and build the next one faster, better, and more, uh, more richly, you know, cause it's got the layers of everything you have discovered, you know, 30 paintings back. So then you kind of can create, you know, cities and landscapes and environments that really feel, uh, immersive and historic because you've gone through your own history of sorts, developing that world. So a lot of the concept artists that goes through this, they don't, I feel like when it, comes to deadline when it comes to working with others it's like a whole learning process as you probably went through right and so there's iterations and iterations so many conversations that follow from the initial idea pitch um was that a transition that part of the process that you had to learn and get better at communicating pretty much just to really etch down what the client is asking for to, to get them what they want, essentially. Oh yeah. Yeah. That that's, that's, I think an exercise in and of itself. I think that's, I think twofold Like one of them is, um, being able to communicate ideas verbally, um, as clearly as you can, which is something that I still work with all the time and, and try to get better at. Because, you know, you, you might be in a meeting and uh, these conversations come up and they deal with major decisions that will affect not just your concept art, but the whole project. And the more you can be adept at having that conversation in the abstract and being able to uh, ping pong ideas around as a group, as a kind of brainstorming group, um, the better you'll be at, at uh, kind of both working toward a solution together and finding the best possible answer. Um, and the other thing is that, you know, you kind of, it's, it's surprising that actually it's not very surprising, but I feel like notes 
are really useful. They seem kind of obvious, but mm-hmm. like taking notes, a, a lot of little notes and things that usually are kind of forgotten, even though you feel like you remember. I think that's still crucial. And I still use that day to day because if you're not paying attention to every word, sometimes the right answer for a client is between the words and between the sentences. And mm-hmm. the, the more you kind of make those marks, like put those landmarks in your memory of, okay, this was the struggle we were dealing with in that conversation, um, the better, but it's, it's like, it's not just a broad sense of what the client needs. It's also the specific things that the client is reacting to, which sometimes if you don't grab onto that, you don't catch those, pay attention enough, write those down, give that attention, then you might end up solving large fuzzy problems and you might think you found a solution, you present it again and the client's like, no, that's still not it, you know? And that's usually because you might just be investigating maybe one layer of their feedback um, and not understanding all the things that might help you get to that final answer that it's like, yes, let's build it. Right. So yeah, it's kind of a, a balance between those. And of course the conversation part and that good, the, the comfortable positive communication part, especially with the clients and is, is important because that, you know, if it's just detachment, if it's just a bullet point of what you, what they would like to see, Sometimes it's not clear either because the client doesn't always know what they want. Either. Right, right. They might be describing a mood, something abstract, but they actually mean something else or something very specific. And being able to have not just bullet points, but a kind of back and forth conversation of clarifying and developing and really open up opportunities, not just for you to explore cool, awesome stuff that you might think of, but for them to get something that they hadn't thought of yet, um, which, you know, might come out in conversation like, Oh, actually, yeah, that might be even more interesting. Um, or, you know, getting an insight into their thinking that opens up way more possibilities for you as a concept artist. It's like, Oh, okay. So you're not just looking for a blue painting, you know, you're looking for all these potential things that might work. And so it can both open up your opportunities and also narrow your focus in a really good way. Yeah. I mean, that kind of goes into my next question, which is, you know, the difference between concept art and design. So the iterative process, the communication back and forth doesn't really allow you sometimes to go, or if you, even if you want to, right. I don't even think you want to go full rendering on an idea and spend all that extra time um, just bringing a drawing to full finish. Uh, So like, how do you balance that when you want to, how do you bring out the key ideas on something before you run off with it? And like how much more of it is about your skills as an illustrator than as a concept Mm -hmm. artist. Right. So I think this is where, the stronger, you know, your abilities are as a 2D illustrator of creating illusion mm-hmm. or it will help you. And it works this way. You know, if I finish a painting that looks somewhat finished, and I think the idea is decent. Um, it's not fully rendered and refined, but, you know, it's presentable. It's something that you can say is more or less finished. Um, you, you need to not fall in love with that 
and really let go as soon as you're finished with it. Know that it's not necessarily the final product. And that's something that, you know, means that, you know, when the player goes in there, they're going to experience every angle of that design and move through that in different ways for different projects, obviously. But to understand that, you know, when you have that painting, when you have that painting that you like a lot, it doesn't mean that's the final one. And it usually means it's, it's probably still early in that process of finding that final design. And that means that somebody might ask for a completely different angle, a completely different type of take on it. But you can borrow core pieces of the actual architecture of the actual props and objects. And you can remake these images and kind of kitbash your own work. And that way it becomes less about image making and creating a single clear illustration with all the uh, composition super worked out. And it's more about using your image as a kind of workshop and thinking of it that way, you know, a workshop with a bunch of pieces that you've created and you can swap out and play with, with paint really quickly and, and iterate and doodle on top of your painting, which, you know, if you get too illustrative with it and too calculated with it, you might end up something that's too tight for you to break. Right. And you, you need to be able to break it in order to, move things and change things. So, you know, the more you're the better an illustrator you are, it will help you certainly. But you also need to realize that, you know, as a concept artist, you're you're a concept designer first essentially, and then an artist second in a way. Where first you're supposed to do the dirty work of piecing these things together and stitching them and ripping them apart. And that's kind of why you have your job, right? Because that's harder to do when you have a full finished product and it's much easier to do when you just have pixels moving around. So if you can do those quick movements and those changes uh, in those earlier stages, then it, you know, you, that sets the whole team up for success. Um, that sets the art director up for not feeling like they're, you know, derailing your whole illustrated masterpiece. They feel more comfortable saying, let's take that out because it's not quite a finished render yet either. And, you know, you as a designer know that the answer is, oh yeah, for sure, I'll take that out. And I know that there's potential for something even better because my final product was never the illustration. It was the final design, which is something that's beyond the illustration. That's the game itself, the film itself. Mm -hmm. Um, And understanding the difference between that, I think is really important as a concept artist and specifically as a concept artist that's successful in solving problems because I think first and foremost you're a problem solver more than you're just uh, an illustrator or an artist. So with your background in architecture, like how do you feel like it applies to different areas of uh, game design, concept artists uh, or art in particular? Like how, how do you feel it can help? Um, because I imagine as an architect, you might talk in for safety conduct reasons and stuff like that, but you're not really talking to anyone else when you're creating these, but in the entertainment world, you're constantly in the middle of different disciplines trying to make it look functional for all at the same time, you know, be open for the iterative process, especially as a concept artist. So, So, yeah, there are a few things that, really align really nicely with the architecture. 
because the, the, the one thing, the misconception I think about creativity is that when it's just an open field day and you can create whatever you want, that that is somehow a better situation than if somebody gives you a very specific, very, very specific puzzle to solve. And in a way, all that creative potential really blossoms when you have these limitations on your design. And when you understand that, you can kind of create your own problems, for example. You can create your own limitations, your own code that you then have to solve. And it's not just some tedious exercise where you just like tell yourself, where do I put the railing? It's more about, you know, both with thinking about the larger project in mind and how it's going to be constructed. What are the building blocks of any given civilization? What are the limitations on their their technology, their materials, their their beliefs, their social structure, the way they interact with their their gods or their history. All these different things can be um, they form they, they they sculpt your design without touching it, but conceptually they sculpt it, right? Because if if you know if somebody's worshiping the sun, it may not make sense to put moons everywhere. I mean, it's like the obvious one, but. You know, if you have these limitations, the more you can craft these story elements and also work those into a, a, a flexible modular system of experimenting, the more you can kind of bridge story, level design, the actual environment, um, and kind of harmoniously put those together. Because I think sometimes concept art, as concept art, is kind of a vision it's this blurry vision kind of handed off and you know then it's it's for everybody else to kind of make sense of and in a way if if you think more architecturally you can kind of understand the building blocks the repeating building blocks of a society or or of an environment and that both helps the continuity of your concept your art but it also helps the continuity into the actual environment building process where you know people have to, the environment artists have to find some kind of system that works best for them to create what might be a very complex environment. And how do you create one painting and uh, give enough information to populate an entire level? You know, and in some cases, a whole civilization with just that one or two paintings. You know, so that means that you have to build into it all these pieces that you can then kind of take a part and, and populate into an environment. And I kind of feel like those limitations um, uh, can help the concept art become increasingly the problem solver, um, which usually an architect is in that sense or uh, is trying to be, is trying to find well, what, who's having an issue. Okay, so the level artist or the level designer, mm-hmm. uh, the director's having an issue, the environment artist is having an issue. What are these problems? Uh, what are the story things that we're trying to solve? Putting all these pieces on the table and seeing if you can kind of build that puzzle out in a way that creates a very inspiring solution for all the parties involved because you're the propellant, you're the fuel that helps the process keep going after you're finished with your painting. Mm-hmm. It goes iterations and kit bashes and all these things that at the end will not look like your painting mm-hmm. in some cases. And best cases may not look like your painting because it's got enough in there that it can spawn more paintings after that. And thinking in that way, thinking more 
uh, as a problem solver, at least has helped me uh, try to kind of bridge those problems and um, uh, those moments where nobody seems to be able to find a solution to a given, you know, design uh, constraint. Uh, and yeah, I think that that definitely comes from architecture and it's usually uh, because it, you know, it, it, it finds, it creates its own limits. Um, and the more you do that, I think the more you'll be more controlled in your decisions and everything will have a conscious choice to it. Right. And this kind of leads into what you're just saying about working with the different departments. Uh, so what's the balance here when you're keeping yourself from over explaining what your ideas are at the same time, kind of keeping your emotional attachment and expression that in a controlled state, like that's something that I feel like every artist kind of learns right. As they walk through the industry, like for an example, a lot of my job is just balancing opinions and seeing what is, and some people say that's just watering down, you know, uh, your, your, your artistic expression, but as an entertainment, because we, let's face it, you know, we are an entertainment product. How do you keep some of your artistic expression, but at the same time appease to not just customers, but your fellow colleagues, right? Your art directors, different department disciplines. Right. So I think my personal solution to that has been, and it's a struggle, you know, because sometimes I might be very passionate about something and I really want it to go through. And I, I, you know, need to remember my place too all the time. Mm-hmm. I realize that I'm part of a larger machine here, you know, that's, that's trying to create something very complex, almost impossibly complex with how many moving parts there are. And, you know, my little artist corner here doesn't quite always fit into a streamlined production. And, knowing that whatever I'm designing, if it's causing any kind of bumps in the road um, and it's not quite working, it's not just my kind of artistic vision that matters. It's also our collective vision of kind of executing this larger project. So that kind of keeps me in check a little bit, but most of all, you know, I think the best way to look at it is to actually be very positive, you know, about moments like that where, you know, you have a vision or you have a concept you really like. I think that it has to do with that, that idea of like really getting attached to the piece that you had done and being able to let go in a way that realizes that, you know, most of the other people in the industry are also artists in some way and they have their expression. And sometimes you might not agree with it. You know, you might say, oh, that's a terrible idea. But I kind of twisted it into anytime I run into one of those, where I'm like, oh, that totally will not work. I just remind myself that at some point in time, you know, Ralph McQuarrie got um, his pitch for Star Wars and was probably thinking, I don't know about this movie. You know, like, it's kind of weird. Like, you got these characters in space and all this stuff. And, you know, if he didn't put, you know, all some kind of faith into that process, then we wouldn't have Star Wars now, you know, mm-hmm, or, mm-hmm. Uh, anybody else, any other artist that was faced with one of the most more challenging, especially fantasy and, and kind of uh, make believe places that we have to create. If we kind of dismiss 
weird or ideas that we're not really familiar or comfortable with, it's actually kind of hindering their own ability to grow is how I look at it. Like I jump in, you know, if it's weird, it doesn't make sense. If it's a problem that nobody wants to touch, I really enjoy those because that means that there's gold there, you know, like nobody's digging here. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if, if I can put the energy into it, you know, there may be something there that no one has quite found yet. And it doesn't mean it's not there. And the only way to know for sure is to go all in. And if you go all in and it doesn't work, then you can leave it on the table, right? Then you can say, you know, I did whatever I could with this and we all did. And clearly now we have to find some other solution. But um, if you kind of start off just kind of being, uh, I don't want to say stubborn, but like rigid in what you want to pull and take apart from your own work, it can kind of hinder your ability to see new opportunities um, and new possibilities every time you do a concept piece. So even if my favorite painting was thrown away, which has happened many times, mm-hmm. like all finished designs for entire levels, for example, just being tossed because, I don't know, a director changed or, you know, a lead changed or the, the story changed or what have you. Um, I used to be bummed about that. And then I realized that when I've gone through the full process, I've ended up having something that even surprised me in some cases with how much more interesting it turned out. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't interesting to start with, but it mm-hmm. worked out because of the energy to everybody. So you've been doing this a lot. So in your personal view, like how do you feel concept art changing over the years and how do you feel it's, where, where do you think it's heading? So I think from my time in the industry, I've, I've seen, um, and I, I'm not like some old sage or anything like that. I mean, I'm still, I'd like to think I'm still definitely new at this. And in a lot of ways, um, like I said before, I'm kind of hoping that I'm still learning and then developing and trying to do that as much as I can. But I feel like art, the concept art has definitely taken a turn from what I've seen, you know, in past work and past projects where it starts off very visual and more and more it's dealing with solving very complicated uh, story problems, deeper story problems when it's having to carry way more weight than it used to, you know, when it was just a few polygons on the screen, you didn't really have to explain what all the carvings were in a given piece or a given temple, but now, you know, the, the subtlest detail is now relevant for storytelling. And it's a huge opportunity for, for artists uh, to be able to express story through their designs. Um, but it's also something that's definitely changed on the concept front because, you know, interesting or fun shapes, they won't quite cut it. Um, and if they do cut it, they'll be torn apart. Because more and more we want like genuine, believable content that's informed, informed content. You know, before it was just, you know, if you had the right combination and ratios of proportions and shapes that were new and interesting, that was awesome. But if, if now you run into that, but it doesn't quite make sense, uh, the illusion starts to break down because, you know, we're, we're expecting more fidelity, not just from the actual final product, but from the story too and from the context. We want it to be very rich. And you can even see in, in, in new projects in the industry how 
things have become increasingly immersive. Um, games and films have become more immersive. And I think, to be honest, I think films like where, where I started off with films like Lord of the Rings, for example, mm-hmm. and that kind of historicity and like making it feel like it's a real place. Like that's not become the goal, right? Everybody, nobody wants that place to feel fake. Um, and even when it's a super stylized thing, you want there to be some kind of closed loop of, of logic. It feels like you can go there and it feels like, you know, Game of Thrones is real. Like it's almost like a real place. And the way you achieve that is by, by thinking in, uh, in ways that look at history and look at traditions. And um, if you're inventing something totally new, then you have to build in all of that history and, and iteration and, and time that wears down architecture, rebuilds architecture. All that time has to be designed into your final product and tell that full story of uh, civilization or uh, a character. So I think that whole story arc to environment, um, the, the ability of the environment now to tell that story in addition to you know just main story beats, um, I think that's pushing concepts in a direction that uh, will require diving deeper and deeper into all these things that I talked about today, you know, mm-hmm. um, history, these cultural relationships of what you're building. Um, because aside from narrative, you can't just make up new narrative anymore either. That has to make sense with what a given character's race or history or, um, you know, background might do with their traditions and their, their belief systems and, um, you know, all these kinds of different characters in sci-fi even will have motivations that need to make sense with who they are and where they're from. And I think that's something that's extremely rich and it's something that, you know, can be really explored and, and can help concept art be um, more and more a, a true kind of design process mm-hmm. and not just, you know, pure expression. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that balance between the two is is going to be closer and closer and they're going to kind of overlap more and more and it's going to become more architectural and how specific decisions will be um how careful decisions will be mm-hmm. um and no longer will you be kind of just throwing random kind of shapes on the page as mm-hmm. much as really crafting and figuring out the pieces that make up that whole image and how they work together and that I think both benefits very complex, you know, environment um, levels, you know, with very complex geometry. And it also helps story and IPs in general allow for uh, franchises to happen, you know, and these repeating films and games to happen. Because if you only half bake the design at the beginning, then you have all kinds of issues down the line of, wait, how does this make sense? You know, this didn't make sense. Who came up with this? So figuring out how to build that continuity is um, is going to be you know important even in the concept phase because whatever you do may become canon in some way for any franchise that you work on. Um, I mean, including some of the stuff like the ones that we're looking at, like from Riot or other projects, where it's it's like holy in how important it can be for a team because um, it can shape the language, the visual language for paintings and stories to come. So it, there's a huge amount of pressure now in getting that right at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, this kind of 
you touch a few points that that I think about a lot of the times, right? Traditional art, traditional architecture, as well as, you know, traditional architects are highly prominent figures and respected art forms in our society. Anything in the entertainment is still just that, right? Just for entertainment and isn't really uh, as comparable, right? Um, as for example, I see, though deeply appreciated on the skills, right? There's paintings out there that I feel, you know, doesn't have as much edge as the digital paintings that I've seen in our industry, right? I feel, and it could be a different thing, but at the same time, the disparity between the two uh, is that it's not as highly esteemed, right? And then if it was like on par and like, Hey, you know, these, this digital painter is just as good as this traditional painter. And it's just one of those things that, you know, we, we have that in our own niche type of thing. There's galleries and stuff and people do appreciate it. But I think in the general public, there's a lot of concept art in the entertainment industry that never sees, uh, never gets seen in the public eye. Right. Except for maybe if it makes it through the movie as a, a, a practical set. So do you feel at some point in the future where virtual concept art will be more appreciated or at least seen on the same stage as um, a regular architecture? Yeah. So I think it's, it's an interesting question because in one way, you know, architecture, for example, you have two products that come out of architecture, right? You might get the drawings of the architect and designs on paper, and you'll definitely get the building, right? Most people, they don't really think about the drawings that go into the building. Mm -hmm. They think about their experience of the building. And even that is usually still taken for granted, except in some like really nice cases, right? When you're traveling and you're like, wow, who built that temple? That's really beautiful. And you really learn about it. So I mean, so much work went into that that's, that's lost and thrown away. And sometimes even those architectural drawings are masterpieces in and of themselves of mm-hmm. just rigor and, and craft. And in concept art, you know, it's funny because we, we have such a visually striking um, byproduct. Mm-hmm. So we have the same two products, right? We have the final game, the final movie, and we have these images, which is actually a luxury. It's like a bonus because these images can stand on their own, even if the whole... Uh, the, the rest of it might be canceled or canned or what have you. Um, so we still still have like some kind of foundation left that we can present to the world if, if we're so lucky. But the important thing to keep in mind is that I feel like uh, these paintings, um, they're, if they are well done, they're going to be increasingly an actual environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, if somebody isn't even looking at the painting, they might be watching it at home mm-hmm. on Netflix, right? And they're going to be in it in VR, especially down the line. Once these things become fully immersive, you might not be able to tell the difference between architecture as we think of it now and that cool temple that you see um, and virtual architecture. And I think that that virtual, very, very... Um, um, detailed environment that you see in games and movies now that we see that and we pay attention to that more than we pay attention to the, the, 
the mall down the, the street, you know? And so that architecture is now more potent than even real architecture in some case to the public. And I feel like that puts more pressure to create something that's, you know, really pleasant and really enriching to be around, you know? And if people are going to be spending all their time in a virtual space, I think it would be really nice if that place is, um, is rich like the real world and hopefully also draws on the real world in some ways that, that brings you back into the real world every once in a while. Right. You get to like inception status, you know, mm-hmm. uh, sleeping and dreaming and uh, imagining these places or seeing these places. But I think thinking about how people interact with their real world, we're becoming architects in a lot of ways, whether we like it or not. And concept art, whether or not I have a background in, in architecture as a concept artist, doesn't change the fact that it's highly architectural in the way that it creates spaces and creates uh, a visual experience. And architecture does the exact same thing. So they're quite parallel. And I think that, you know, the, that overlap is going to happen probably sooner than later. And it's kind of already happening in some ways, and especially in games. Yeah. Um, Spending hours and hours in games, it's probably more than you're even spending in a real piece of, of you know, architecture in the real world. So um, I think that's why I put, um, at first, you know, I thought, well, I guess I won't see, you know, a building of my own. <laughs> um, I won't be able to say, hey, I built that. And then I realized that whether or not anything comes out of my paintings, if, if a project goes through, somebody will be walking into my virtual building at some mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. And it might even be a, a nice set piece with, with actual story. Somebody, you know, interacts with my design, uh, interacts with that environment and really gets uh, an enriching, fun narrative out of that. And that's something that even architecture nowadays doesn't always get. You might get your building built, but people might not get what, what you're trying to do with that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's a luxury that I, I keep that in the back of my head. I'm like, well, you know, let's get any project that we're working on past any finish line so that, you know, I can finally jump into this virtual space and see if the experiment works, you know, see if the, the space behaves the way I imagined it would behave uh, when a person interacts with it. And that's the same exercise architects do. So, you know, definitely it's a bummer if the art doesn't come out, mm-hmm. but, uh, at the end of the day, I think it's you, know, you should dedicate yourself not just to the art, but also to this process, this final product, um, because the great ones really do last long. And you know, at the end of the day, I, like I said, I kind of don't think of myself as much as a fine artist, um, as much as a um, kind of combo of a designer and and an artist. Um, and as a designer, again, like I never even had that expectation. Right. would be, you know. Um, all over. I, I was hoping more for the building. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, just to add on to that, you know, VR is already here. It's, it's the accessibility is going to be a lot more. And like you mentioned, there's great architecture and historical buildings and, you know, there's tourism, but the likelihood of someone putting on a VR set to get there virtually is more, of uh i see it more of a more of a common thing right i mean if you look at any (laughs) sci-fi possibilities out there it's always pointing towards people taking vacation at home right put on the 
couple of goggles. And that's pretty much where we're heading. I feel like once technology gets more and more immersive, you know, there will be a persistent world in the virtual world where you can walk around these sets, especially VR. So VR is kind of like the dawn of our age, right? I mean, video games in general appreciate character art a lot more than environment art. But once you put on the VR set and you look around, I felt like there was a switch. People appreciate environment art a lot more in those VR goggles because now you feel like you're you're in a world. So I'm looking forward to that. And I, I definitely sign off on that where uh, the things we create, once it becomes more tangible, right? Uh, people will, I, th- I think naturally will appreciate it more, even if it's a made up based on foundation type of architecture versus like a real world thing that you wait and build. Right. So, I mean, this is a perfect, perfect segue to kind of conclude our session here. And I want to thank you, Gabriel, for everything that you taught us, uh, everything that you shared. It's very insightful. Again, you're one of a kind (laughs) when it comes to your concept art. it's, It's amazing because I see it. I see the difference of, like you said, you know, we're maturing as an entertainment industry from just, you know, starting with shapes and stuff. But once we marry the two and create things from historical years and years and years of education and architecture, it only makes our work a lot better. Right. And I think in every discipline, it becomes that way. So I'm looking forward to it. I'm always a fan. I want to thank you. Uh, before we sign off though, I want you to do a shout out to anything, uh, that you want to promote or, uh, give attention to, uh, to anyone that's watching anyone that's watching the recording right now. So that they can check you out. As well as your website too, if they want to check out more shit. <laughs> uh, yeah, so you can see my artwork on Instagram at uh, G A B E Y E G A N. Um, that's Gabe Yagan uh, on Instagram, and then you can see my artwork on ArtStation too. Um, you can find me; just search my name on there. Uh, and uh, if you know, if you're interested in what I was talking about today, I teach a course pretty much dedicated to exactly what I talked about at Concept Design Academy. And it's called Architecture for World Building. So it's basically a class trying to teach um, some familiarity with uh, historical architecture and breaking that down. So when you go back home and you start to create your worlds, it's informed by all of this history and precedent and really understanding design um, of, you know, architecture itself, not just a um, not just the art side, the design side. So, yeah. So those are my uh, shameless plugs. I don't know if I'm missing anything else. <laughs> uh, but thank you for having me and having me on here. Uh, it's been really fun you know, to talk about this, and it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Hey, thanks, man. So everybody, please check them out. There's a lot more work, and I am not. <laughs> You know, being modest with that. There's a lot of stuff <laughs> on your site. So uh, it's always a thrill going through them and seeing new updates. So thank you again. And see everybody next week. 
Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you are liking the podcast, go to the Apple iTunes store and give Game Dev Unchained a five-star rating. This will help spread the joy and love and exposure for the podcast, and we thank you very much. If you want to continue the conversation, go to our Discord, which can be found on our website, www.gamedevunchained.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at BlueChamps, B-L-U-C-H-A-M-P-S. You want to catch these episodes live every Tuesdays and Thursdays, go to twitch.tv forward slash blue underscore champs. Email me any of your concerns or questions that you want me to read aloud at the beginning of each episode at info at gamedevunchained.com. And if you want to further support us and help unlock the next feature, which is the voicemail future, go to patreon.com forward slash blue champs this gives listeners a chance to kind of call in leave a message for both me and the guests to answer your deepest darkest questions and comment on your deepest darkest secrets thank you everybody